Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Micah chapter 4. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war any more. Every man will sit under his own vine and his, under his own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods. We will walk in the name of the Lord, our God, forever and ever. In that day, declares the Lord, I will gather the lame, I will assemble the exiles and and those I have brought to grief. I will make the lame a remnant, those driven away, a strong nation. The Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion from that day and forever. As for you, O watchtower of the flock, O stronghold of the daughter of Zion, the former dominion will be restored to you, Kingship will come to the daughter of Jerusalem. Why do you now cry aloud? Have you no king? Has your counsellor perished, that pain seizes you like that of a woman in labour? Writhe in agony, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labour, for now you must leave the city to camp in the open field. You will go to Babylon. There you will be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you out of the hand of your enemies. But now many nations are gathered against you. They say, let her be defiled. Let our eyes gloat over Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan. He who gathers them like sheaves to the threshing floor. Rise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will give you horns of iron I will give you hooves of bronze, and you will break to pieces many nations. You will devote their ill-gotten gains to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of all the earth. Let me add my welcome to Ben's. It's very good to have you here. And you join us as uh, we uh, work our way through the book of Micah. Uh, Micah spoke God's word to God's people in the 8th century BC, many years ago. And yet we've been seeing this time how remarkably relevant these ancient words are to us today. So if you can, do have your Bibles open at that reading from Micah chapter 4. It's on page 932 of the Pew Bibles. And also on the way in, I hope you received a handout stuffed inside the bundle of paper. You might find that helpful to have to hand over the next few minutes as well. And let me pray. Father, we thank you very much that your word helps us to understand who you are and your ways to make sense of our world around us. And we do pray this morning that you help us to be a people who 
walk with you, who trust in you, no matter what happens in this world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It can be very important to get the order right. The um, English cricket team have discovered this overnight, um, playing in the ashes in Australia. When you play cricket, you have to try to score runs before you get out uh, rather than afterwards. You know, you've got to get the order right when it comes to cricket. Um, in other areas of life, getting the order right really matters. I discovered this myself when it came to my GCSE exams. It turns out that you have to revise before the exams, uh, not afterwards. Um, if you're trying to build a house, the foundations come before the walls. If you want to... Um, uh, uh, if you have an accident with a car, you have to have insurance before the accident, not afterwards. In lots of ways in life, getting the order right is crucial in our world. We understand that, don't we? And this morning, as we uh, uh, look at Micah chapter 4, we're going to see two of the biggest realities that will face anyone here today. Uh, realities that are far bigger than any exam. The, the stakes are far higher than any insurance policy. And yet... Many, many people in the world around us are deeply confused about the order in which they will come. And this morning I'm talking about the reality of God's salvation and the reality of God's judgment. Last week we saw a very bleak picture of the people of God in Micah chapter 3. We saw that the leaders of the people were corrupt. We saw the people were groaning under their leadership. They were oppressed Bribes were being given and taken, and it's a chapter that makes us cry out for justice. We long that God would step in and sort out what is going on. And then, almost out of the blue, we come to Micah chapter 4. It's just after Micah chapter 3, and yet it's an entirely different chapter. Micah 3 was a chapter of oppression and injustice. Micah chapter 4 is a world put right. It is a world that we long to be part of, and it's a chapter full of extraordinary hope. And the big question for each one of us here this morning is how and when can the world of Micah chapter 3, the world of brokenness and oppression, how can that world be transformed into the world of Micah chapter 4? When and how will that transformation take place? And this isn't some abstract philosophical question for intellectuals to chew over. This is real for each one of us. For we live now in the world of Micah chapter 3. We live in the world where the powerful people abuse their power. Where the people experience violence and bloodshed. Just think of the headlines. Think of what we prayed about this morning taking place in Egypt over the weekend. With many, many killed terribly. And we can think of other headlines as well. And we live in the world of Micah 3. We long for the world to be put right. And so this morning is wonderful news. The world will be put right. But Micah writes to help us understand the order of events. We must get this order right in our thinking. And here's the order of Micah chapter 4. The world will be put right, but only after Judgment. Micah's going to help us understand God's plan, God's timing for his world, so that we can stick with him and understand our times. And so, as we dive into the passage, our first heading on the handout is this 
the world will be put right. In these first eight verses of Micah chapter four, Micah sees a vision of the distant future from Micah's perspective. And I said that because of verse one. Uh, he begins his vision saying, in the last days. Or if you look forward to verse six, he says, in that day, declares the Lord. So from Micah's perspective, as he looks forward and sees a vision that God gives him, he's looking into the distant future. And it is a wonderful vision that he sees of the future that is coming. It is absolutely wonderful. He sees the Lord's temple. Look at verse one again. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and peoples will stream to it. When it comes to, uh, to buildings, there's a sort of bragging rights that come with having the, the tallest building in the world. Um, over the last few decades, various cities have been trying to compete with one another to have that right. Um, I think for 25 years or so, the Sears Tower in Chicago was the tallest building in the world. Now the Burj Khalifa in Dubai holds the crown. And they had this sort of bragging rights to say, look, we've got the biggest, the tallest building in the world. Because when it comes to buildings, it seems that height matters. And it also seems that when it comes to temples, height matters. In Micah's day, there were lots of uh, nations worshipping lots of gods. And there was something significant about the height at which your god was worshipped at, where the temple was. It was a sense of prominence and significance. But a day is coming, says Micah, verse 1, when the temple of the one true God, the Lord himself, that temple is placed at the highest point in the world, This isn't um, the death zone on Mount Everest. It's talking about a place of of honor and significance. It'll be deemed the most special place in the world. And what a contrast to chapter three. The end of chapter three, verse 12, Micah warns that a day is coming when Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble, the temple hill, a mound overgrown with thickets. But then he looks forward to the future, the distant future, and he realizes that a day is coming when a great reversal will happen, when the temple of the Lord will be raised up in glory to the highest place. And the importance of this temple to come in verse one, it's not because of the bricks and mortar used in the building. The the, the significance, rather, is that the temple was the place of relationship with the one true God, the holy God, where sinful people could come and be with him, and it happened through sacrifice. And a day is coming when this temple is raised up to the place of highest honor, and people from all nations can come and gather and meet with the one true God himself. It's a place of relationship through perfect sacrifice. And Micah describes what will happen at this temple, and he sees the the, the Lord's word, verse 2. Many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. Why? Well, he will teach us his ways so that we might walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Imagine what it'll be like in this vision of the distant future, getting the bus into town. Imagine down to Broomhill or the Sheffield city center and uh, you get on the bus and there in front of you is a, a couple chatting and you just sort of lean forward and listen into their conversation and you discover that um, they're talking about something very urgent. They say, um, it's, it's not in fact strictly or I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. They say, I cannot wait to go any time now. 
It's going to happen. It's going to be brilliant when it comes. Like, I can't wait to be there. And you sort of wonder, oh, I wonder what they're talking about. And as they keep on talking, it turns out they're not talking about Meadow Hall on Black Friday. Um, but rather, they say, I cannot wait to go to the mountain of the Lord because he himself will be there and we will hear him teaching us personally all about his ways. In this picture of the future, there will be no preachers because the Lord himself will teach the people the ways of the Lord. And what a day it'll be. It'll be a day of relationship. We will see the one true God. There he'll be teaching his people and the world will be thrilled to hear his ways. They will long for his word to go out because his word will be upheld and rejoiced in. What a day that will be. Micah also sees the Lord's justice, verse three. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. We looked at this verse a few weeks ago on Remembrance Sunday and um, I won't spend much more time looking at it this morning, but notice the wonderful reversal compared to chapter three. In chapter three, the corrupt leadership judged for a bribe, the people were oppressed, but here in Micah 4, The Lord himself will judge people, leading to disputes fading away, for his justice is perfect, and the people will thrive under his just rule. And then Micah sees in this vision of the future, he sees the Lord's people. Look at verse six. In that day, declares the Lord, I will gather the lame, I will assemble the exiles and those I have brought to grief. I will make the lame a remnant those driven away, a strong nation. What a picture of hope. A people who had been oppressed, who had been sent into exile, a a broken people. A day is coming, sees Micah, when that very people are, are gathered in and restored into a mighty nation. The lame even are brought in. It is a picture of the world being put right. For just a few moments in history, the world was right. Back at the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis, when God's people enjoyed his presence, they heard his voice directly, and they rejoiced to follow his ways. But if you know the story of the Bible, that moment lasted for just a moment for the human race rebelled against God's word and his ways and so they lost his presence. And ever since then, this world has not been right. We've been groaning and longing for it to be put right. But here in Micah 4 is a picture of the world put right as it should be. What was lost will be found and regained. As Micah proclaims this wonderful vision, his application to the people back then, it's very clear, and it's there in verse five. He says, all the nations may walk in the name of their gods. We, however, will walk in the name of the Lord, our God, forever and ever. See, the people of Micah's day, they may not have yet understood how this world will come to pass, but they now know who can make it possible It's the Lord himself. The Lord alone can make it possible. There are many gods worshipped in the world around them, but only one God can bring about this world put right. And so walk with him. Trust in him. Put your future lives 
onto him. And the same application stands for us today. Even the best government budget cannot fix our world. The UN, better education, more international development, better technology, self-reliance. None of these things can change our world from what it is to a world put right. But the Lord can. And so cling to him, walk with him. Which means on Monday morning, if we're in the office and we're chatting with our colleagues about what we've done on the weekend, and we mentioned that we gathered as church to hear God's word preached, and you see them exchange a smirk between one another. <coughs> he went to church. Who does that? It means that we, we won't be thrown by that reaction because we know that the gods worshipped in the world around us cannot bring about a world put right. There is only one God, the Lord himself, who can do it. So walk with him, stick with him. Don't be ashamed that that has been your choice regarding your future, for he can bring it about. Or when our friends are utterly absorbed by the presents, buying the latest gadgets, the new house extension, the the pay rises, it's easy to be envious of their present. Their world can look at times almost like it's perfect in the present. And we can long to be like them. But Micah says, don't worship those gods, for that world is not right. Rather, trust in the one true God who can put this world right properly and forever. The world will be put right. Micah sees this glorious vision in the future, and it is thrilling. I hope you are thrilled that this is God's plan for his world. Our broken world, the world full of injustice and violence. But as we look at Micah chapter 4, we are bound to wonder, when, how will this future become our present? So far, Micah has only shown us what will come. He hasn't said how or when. And that takes us to our second point. The world will be put right, but... Only after judgment. Micah moves the camera from the distant future, that's the first half of the chapter, and he zooms the camera back into much closer to the near future. And I say this because uh, verse 9, look at how it begins. He says, Why do you now cry aloud? Or verse 11, he says, But now many nations are gathered against you. See, he has been talking about the distant future, but in the second half of the chapter, he he focuses in on the the much more immediate future, the the but now of his own experience. And he has to show the people that whilst the distant future is wonderful and glorious, he needs to show them what the near future looks like. But now understand what is to come first before the distant future happens, do you see? And what he has to describe in the near future, well, it's judgment. Judgment. Look at verse 10. Writhe in agony, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor, for now you must leave the city to camp in the open field. You will go to Babylon. This is the near future for the people of God, probably about 100 years in the future. 
the Babylonians will come and they will take the people of God into captivity, into exile. And it is God's judgment on them for their sin. And Micah equates the agony and pain of going into exile and experiencing that judgment, he equates it with the pain of a woman going through childbirth. Obviously, I've never experienced, will never experience that pain, but I'm told it is truly horrific. But there's a purpose to the pain. The pain of labor is to bear new life. And the pain of exile for the people of God in Babylon is purposed that they might be redeemed and brought back into new life. You see how verse 10 finishes? You'll go to Babylon. There you will be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you out of the hands of your enemies. Do you see the order that Micah is showing us? He's showing us this distant, perfected world, but in the short term, he says, first, it's like a woman in, in labor before she gives birth. In, in the short term, there's gonna be the pain of judgment and exile before God brings you back and redeems you. In case we've missed the, the point he's making, he gives us another example of this order. Uh, he um, has another example from verse 11. This time, it's the Assyrians, even more close in time to Micah's day. Perhaps even as he writes Micah 4, if you know the story, the Assyrian Empire, they've swooped down from the north. They are camped around the gates of Jerusalem. They have destroyed the rest of the country already in judgment. And now they are knocking on the very gates. You can imagine Micah almost scribbling and they're 200 meters away. You can imagine him. He says, verse 11, but now many nations are gathered against you. They say, let her be defiled. The Assyrian Empire the, the army was made up of many conquered nations, all brought together by Assyria. And here they are against Jerusalem. And it is judgment. There is real peril here. But look at what happens next, verse 12. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan. He who gathers them like sheaves to the threshing floor, rise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will give you horns of iron. This mighty Assyrian army has been gathered to destroy Jerusalem, but the Assyrians don't realize that, in fact, the Lord has gathered them like wheat for the harvest. If you know the history of what happens, miraculously, the Lord sends an angel and he destroys 185,000 of the Assyrian army. They flee in destruction, and the people come out of the city, and if you like harvest, it's a brutal picture, isn't it? But they have a harvest as the Assyrians are destroyed. But there's a similar pattern. The Assyrians came in judgment. The Lord spared his people through judgment, and there is hope beyond judgment. God will put the world to rights, but only after judgment. For the people of Micah's day, it was so important for them to understand the order of God's plan. He had a wonderful plan of future salvation but first his plan was judgment and Micah writes to help them understand their times and their place in God's history but he also writes to help us understand our place and time in history you see in Micah 4 exile is judgment 
it's a scale model, it's a, it's a picture of what will happen when Christ returns and the whole world is judged. I used to catch a bus to school every morning. It took me about an hour, I think. And um, at one point when the motorway came to an end, there was this horrendous junction that was always completely clogged up and there'll be a huge queue on, on my road to get through. I must have spent, I think, literally weeks of my life sat on the bus at this junction waiting to get through. And um, it was pretty, uh, pretty discouraging. And then one summer, the council decided that time had come to build a wonderful, glorious bypass around this junction. So from my road to the next road, it just swooped around. And I remember the next year going back to school and just gliding along this new bypass. And it was bliss. And um, I looked out the window at the, uh, the poor people who were still having to go through the roundabout of, of chaos and I felt a little bit, um, well, I, I felt bad for them, but I felt relieved that I wasn't having to go through their journey. And um, I wonder if people have a similar view of God's judgment. They understand that God will come and judge the world, and they understand that for some people they have to go through judgment. You can think of um, the terrorists who killed those people in Egypt over the weekend. 300 or so killed. You think, I'm glad that God will come and judge those people. We, we can understand that evil has to be held accountable. But when it comes to us personally, I think most people assume that we are, are on the bypass heading around the problem. That the problem is for other people, not for us. And not that we're smug about it, but we expect that the future will be plain sailing around the problem into whatever is to, to, um, to come. But the order that we find in Micah chapter four is that God's world put to rights only comes after judgment. And there'll be no bypass routes around it. There'll be no way through to the new world apart from and through the judgment of God. It is a hard message for us this morning. But there is hope. Micah knows that a remnant will survive, that there will be a redemption, that the lame will be brought back. But he doesn't yet tell us how. If we were to read through the rest of Micah, or indeed the rest of the Bible, we discover that there is a way through judgment by trusting in the death of Jesus. A few months ago, you may have heard the story of a couple, um, Andrew and Lucy Foster, back in September, uh, they were over in the States. They were uh, climbing in Yosemite National Park and they were right at the base of that really famous sheer cliff face, El Capitan. And uh, they were climbing at the base of it and disaster struck. There was a, a huge rock fall from way up the, the cliff face. Hundreds of tons of rock came tumbling down and tragically, Andrew, the husband, died in the rock fall. But um, remarkably, Lucy, his wife, was pulled alive from the rubble, and she survived. She's alive today. And it only became clear a few days later how it was possible for her to survive such a horrific moment. You see, that the, the, the rock face was so high that when the, the rocks slipped away from the rock face, Andrew could hear the noise above, and he saw what was happening, and he jumped and landed on his wife, and he took the fall of the rocks onto himself. And so he gave his life that her life might be spared. 
It's not a perfect illustration, but it is something of what Christ has done for us when he died on the cross. He could see the danger coming our way. Not a rock fall, but the judgment of God, unavoidable, unescapable for every human being in this world. And he jumped to save us, willingly choosing to go to the cross to take on to himself the sentence of God's judgment, giving his life and death that we might never have to experience that judgment ourselves. And once the judgment has fallen once, it will never fall again. And so, Christian, if you are trusting in the death of Christ today, then you have already been taken through judgment into life beyond. There is a judgment to come when Christ returns, when the whole world is judged. But Christian, if you're trusting in Christ, then you already know the verdict. Because you look back 2,000 years ago and you hear the cry, not guilty, forgiven, rescued. It's already happened. And so when Christ returns, we know what will happen. We will pass through safe, unscathed, into the life beyond. And so today, we know something the people of Micah did not know. Micah would say to them, walk with the Lord, trust in him. And we have even more reason to today, do we not? For we realize that our Lord has come and died for us, that we might uh, survive judgment. And I think that's why the temple is so prominent in Micah's vision of the future. Remember the temple on this highest place in the world? Because remember, the temple was the place of relationship made possible through sacrifice. There is no temple today in Jerusalem. It was destroyed under the Romans. But Christ in his life said that, destroy the temple in three days, I will raise it again, speaking of his own body. And of course, it was his sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, once and for all, his death, which makes relationship possible between us and God forever. And so for eternity to come, we will be praising the one true sacrifice. His death will be raised to the highest place in the universe because that is how a sinful people are brought close to a holy God. Sadly, the church in this country, in many ways, I think, has given up talking about judgment. So often we hear a message of salvation of how the world can be better, but the message doesn't include a path through judgment. It's a, it's a path around judgment. It's a path that ignores judgment. And it is no salvation at all. You may have heard about the resignation of Lorna Ashworth a few weeks ago. She had been a member of General Synod of the Church of England and a key advisor to the Archbishop of Canterbury. But um, she resigned and she published her, her resignation letter so that she, she could explain why. And I quote from that letter. She says, as a corporate body, we have become unable to articulate the saving message of Jesus Christ, which fully en encompasses the reality of sin, repentance, and forgiveness. Without this message, we do not teach true gospel and people do not get saved. That's true, isn't it? The world will be put right, but only after judgment. 
And if we stop preaching about the problem of sin and the reality of judgment, we're not preaching salvation. We're not helping people be saved. And so for us here this morning, let us be a people who walk with the Lord, trusting in his sacrifice in our place. But let us also be a people who are utterly convinced that other people need to hear about this message. Think of what's happening here over the Christmas season. Many carol services, a great chance to invite people to come and hear about life beyond judgment. If we are convinced of these things, we will want to invite them, to bring them. But just as I finish, I wonder if you spotted one glorious implication of Micah's order. Salvation only comes after and through judgment. But in Christ, we've already escaped and passed through God's judgment. Which means that we have already started partaking in the life of Micah chapter 4 verses 1 to 8. The church, the people of God, uh, we are, if you like, the remnants brought from exile. We are the lame who are restored. Uh, we are a bunch of people made up of every nation, tongue, and uh, tribe being brought together. Uh, we are people who enjoy perfect relationship with God through the death of Jesus. We are people who love and cherish God's word. Uh, we are people who live at peace with one another under our true judge, Jesus Christ. And it's not perfect, our church, but it is the blessings of the new creation breaking into the present in Christ. And church at its best is a foretaste, a picture, a glimpse of what lies ahead of us in the years to come in Christ. And so Christian, rejoice that we can gather as church. Rejoice that we are part of this new redeemed people. Rejoice that one day we will see Christ face to face and enjoy his presence forever. Rejoice that we can experience that now in part and rejoice that one day it'll be wonderfully and gloriously perfected. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the honesty of Micah that he didn't hold back from what he saw of the future. We thank you that he writes to prepare God's people to understand the order of salvation. Father, we thank you so much for the death of Christ, our way through judgment. And Father, we thank you that as your people, we experience now the joy, the blessing of the new creation life. Father, please help us to be about the great work of telling other people the good news of Christ, that they too may find a way through judgment. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh,